Good morning, church family. So great to see you here. Uh, those of you who are on campus uh, fought the fog. It was pretty amazing coming in today. Uh, we, as we got on the freeway earlier, you couldn't hardly see another car link in front of you. It was, the fog was so heavy. Uh, we've had snow, we've had fog, we've had pandemic, we've had you know famine and pestilence, all kinds of things uh, are, have been happening across the planet, but God is so good, isn't he? And he's so faithful. Welcome to you who are online uh, and on our online campus. We are grateful that you're tuning in and we miss you so much. Uh, when you feel comfortable to come back, uh, we are so excited about that. Uh, we were talking a little bit before service and uh, I had read yesterday they were doing 100,000 a day uh, on the uh, giving the shots for uh, against the virus. So uh, the we are hoping that soon we can all return as a family and have some semblance of, of normality in our gatherings. We love you. I'm grateful for all those of you who have come and uh, grateful that God has brought many of you through all kinds of sicknesses and challenges this year, and you're standing strong. And one of the uh, identifiers for being able to stand strong, of course, is being deeply rooted, and that's our uh, theme for this year is rooted uh, for life. And uh, we are going to be talking about that again. We have the opening series on being rooted for life. And we'll, throughout the year, we're going to be talking about it. In the spring, uh, just a, kind of a plugging uh, that a little bit, we're going to be looking at uh, some of the things that prevent uh, us from putting in deep roots, and one of them being along the lines of, of inner healing. And so, so uh, that, that healing that God wants to do, not only in our bodies physically, uh, that he does, but that uh, emotional, mental healing that God brings. And so uh, all through the year, we'll be talking about how to get deeply and stay deeply rooted in Christ. If you have your Bibles with you today, Jeremiah chapter 17, uh, chapter 17 of Jeremiah. I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, I know some of you are proficient using your phones and your apps, and that's fine too if you want to use that. Uh, you've learned how to highlight and how to make notes, and that's great if you want to do it that way. But, uh, you know, some of us are still more comfortable doing that with our Bible. We were back for Michelle's, we've had kind of back-to-back, -back, I'll talk to you a little bit more uh, in the message, but back-to-back -back funerals of some real uh, legendary Christian people in our family, uh, my uncle and uh, then Michelle's uh, aunt. Uh, we were back in Arkansas uh, last uh, last three days of this, this week, uh, and uh, we, uh, you know, are, are, as we're there and, and around family and seeing these giants in the faith, these people who really loved God and were so deeply rooted, we're reminded of the importance of that legacy that we're leaving behind us and, and uh, what we are doing in, in terms of uh, passing this down to another generation. And one of the things they did, uh, both at the funeral and at the graveside for uh, Michelle's Aunt Mary. I became a part of the family, uh, you know, uh, a long time ago, about 37 years ago. And so she's my aunt too, and I love her. And, and she's been so uh, key and a part of, of our life over the years. Uh, interestingly enough, has a connection here. We, we went through some challenges when we first got here uh, financially a little bit. And uh, she wrote, pulled her checkbook out and wrote us a check and said, I believe in the ministry uh, that you guys have. I believe in this church and this church family. 
and she planted a seed offering for us early on. So uh, that legacy uh, extends to us. And uh, they were reading from her Bible, and uh, she had written notes all over her Bible, you know, beside verses. And uh, it was so inspirational to hear the things that challenged her. You know, she became uh, a member of the the One Book for Life uh, that is a ministry of, of the Assemblies of God in reaching children across the world in uh, putting a Bible in their hands. And so she's been to every continent except Antarctica uh, to help with this uh, sharing of God's Word and passing, putting a Bible in the hands of, of children and what a dynamic ministry it is. And they had a bunch of Bibles there for us at the funeral and you take one and give it to a child, you know, and and so it was just a great, great time, a great uh, moment of inspiration, and a reminder of how important it is for us to be deeply, deeply rooted. Jeremiah chapter 17, beginning at verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, in whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Father, we come to you asking that you would open our hearts, that we would deeply receive what you're saying to us, recognizing that there is both the logos, Lord, the, the letter of the word, uh, and, and Lord, there is, uh, there is the life of the word through the spirit as he brings it to life for us, Lord. And, and we ask that you would bring this alive for us so that we would live it out and, and put down deep roots that we might be a blessing not only to us and our family, but to generations. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two rivers that converge in the valley uh, of the sun in Phoenix in the desert, in the middle of the desert. Uh, a lot of people who have uh, thought about the desert, I had a cousin, uh, I, I was born in West Texas, had a cousin that when we would travel back, we, we uh, spent most of my life in Arizona, we moved there when I was uh, right about two. And so most of my growing up and my graduation from high school and everything was in the state of Arizona. And when I would come home and talk to him about Arizona, you know, his idea of Arizona was this dry, barren, you know, cactus everywhere, there was no sources of water, uh, certainly no lakes or no rivers. And so when I would tell him about those things and about mountains and even snow and stuff like that, he, he was really, uh, couldn't get his mind around it, couldn't understand. But these two rivers that converge in, um, the, uh, in the desert in, in uh, Phoenix, near Phoenix, one of them is called the Verde. Verde is uh, Spanish for green. And the river waters of the Verde, they, they run warm because they are fed by warm springs. And so I've been across a lot of sections of the Verde. I haven't been everywhere that the Verde goes, but I have traveled down that on inner tube and with friends over the years a number of times. And it's a warm water uh, river. Now, not your 80 degrees or uh, 90 degree sauna, but you know, it's somewhere always in, in, in you know, the high 60s to 70s, you know, depending on what the weather is. Of course, the sun can warm it up a little bit more. And so it's a, it's a nice river to get into and just float down and relax and enjoy. 
And the waters are, are, are primarily, as I said, uh, spring-fed. Uh, catfish love these warm waters, tadpoles, and even some water snakes. Uh, seen some interesting things floating down some of these sections of the river. This, these rivers don't flow through the town of Phoenix. They're out in the desert. And, uh, and, you, and you can uh, go out and enjoy them. They even have, like we do down in New Brunfels, buses that will run you, uh, pick you up and run you places so that you can float sections of that. But we've gone into some of the canyons and places where the buses don't drive, and we've started there and floated all the way down to where the buses do drive and get a free ride home. Uh, but <clears throat> it's, uh, it's interesting. The other river that flows there that they converge together uh, it, at a place is called the Salt River. Now, the Salt River is uh, not a salty river. It's named after the canyon that it carved out, and there is a section of the canyon not where the water flows, where there actually are salt deposits. And so it's called the Salt River. Now this is a very different river because it flows down from the mountains and the waters are icy cold. And uh, different kinds of fish there, you're gonna find some trout and, and uh, you know, different kinds of uh, wildlife there, but it is a cold water river and from the snows melted and even down in the desert, you know, it, it is cold. And, you know, when these two rivers converge in the desert, um, you, you know, you're going to see lots of, of greenery. You, know, you can find where these rivers are flowing because, uh, you know, the desert suddenly becomes green. But there's another uh, marker for that, and there's tall, beautiful trees, strong and anchored, deep roots, because they're by a source of water where they can be, uh, they can drink and they can grow up strong and, and firm. And so... You know, sections where we would get out of the river and be shaded by the trees and have a, a picnic and enjoy hanging out there as a family because uh, these trees grow up tall, strong, and they're deeply, deeply rooted. Lots of greenery, big, strong trees. Now, I've navigated, uh, as I said, good portions of this, but, uh, you know, it's interesting. The very first time I did, uh, you know, you, you could discover that even a blind man would know when these rivers converge, right? Because you're floating down the Verde, it's nice and warm, and suddenly there's a chill up your back. <laughs> it really starts to cool off. And you recognize that these waters have flown, uh, they've come together. I think I might have a, a picture up here for you of, of where these waters converge. That you can see, um, maybe you can see it. Yeah. You can't see it very well. There's a fisher guy that's fishing up here in the front. Is <laughs> The, the national meme uh, that has been going around. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful here, and even Bernie likes to fish. Um, it's uh, the, the waters uh, coming together, but man, you can tell the difference when these two waters converge. It's really beautiful, and the desert turns green, uh, and it is, it is a source of life in the desert, right? Lots of, of, of life in the desert. If you ever get a chance to go through it and walk around, you see a lot of life in the desert. And when the roots grow deep, though, for us, it's, it's a beautiful thing. When roots begin to grow deep uh, through God's Word, and, and we, uh, we begin to put His, His love into practice, His, we begin to practice His presence, we remain strong uh, and even when, when the heat gets turned up. Even when, when our kids make foolish choices, right? And when the boss's ex high expectations ratchet up a few more notches, 
when the paychecks will not stretch another penny, when a disagreement becomes an impasse, when health fails and fear takes control, we are anchored with deep roots and we can weather all of those kinds of difficulties and challenges. And so into that, God speaks these words through the prophet Jeremiah, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. In Luke chapter 2, we read the story about Jesus uh, at the age of 12. And he was teaching in the temple. His family gathered up to leave, and they thought Jesus was with the traveling group. Now, when people would travel to be for safety in those days, they traveled in large numbers. And so there were children in that group that you could hear. And I'm certain that Mary and Joseph thought they heard Jesus as they began to journey. They were not too terribly far out of town before probably Mary first, right? Moms are always the ones <laughs> that identify. In a way, to me, this has always been kind of a humorous story in the Bible, you know? How many of you guys would like to be the one who lost Jesus, you know? God's son, you know? And, and who do you pray to then, right? <laughs> Dear God, I lost your son. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so here they are, they, they've lost him, and full panic, you know, all of you uh, that are parents, or even, uh, you know, aunts and uncles, or, you know, you're, you, you have children around your life, you know what a panic, it strikes you when you realize that you've been disconnected, and you no longer uh, have your kids with you. I was about five, we had gone to Disneyland for the first time, I was holding hands with my dad, and I turned around to look at something, reached back around, grabbed his hand, and we walked a few paces before I realized this guy's not my dad. <laughs> and my parents were in a full-blown panic, and they were running around trying to find me. We've all had these experiences. We lost Zach when he was uh, young. We had gone to uh, out uh, in uh, Laguna Sega in, um, in California, and uh, we were out there for a Christian concert, and it was going on a few days, so we had a little tiny motorhome thing that we had borrowed and and we were out there and and uh, waiting you know uh, for the various concerts and we had gone in to kind of look around and we lost track of Zach and he had walked back to where the uh, motorhome was we didn't know it at the time so we were full-blown panic and it was the last thing I thought to do was go back to the uh, see if if he was around the motorhome and there he was you know inside the motorhome he had found a way to get in and and uh, he had, uh, you know, we were just panicked. But this is what obviously was going on uh, when Jesus got lost and, uh, from Mary and Joseph, and they were just panicking. They run back, they're asking, and probably the last place they wind up going is the temple because as we saw him there. Maybe he's still there, you know? But first you're checking everywhere else, right? And then Jesus was teaching, though, in the temple, which is amazing. At 12 years old, he's teaching the scriptures and talking to them. And when we read this, we find out that his, his parents, uh, traveling back home, uh, assumed that he was with that group of travelers. They discovered that he was not. Mary and Joseph, in their search, uh, their frantic search for Jesus, the story reveals something to us very powerful, and that is that Jesus seemed quite at home in his father's house. <laughs> and one of the things that I would help define trust with God is people who feel at home in his presence. You know you're trusting God when you feel at home in his presence. 
you know you're doing a, a decent job of putting roots down in terms of trusting and believing and putting your hope in God when you feel at home and most comfortable when his presence is around you. Nothing hidden. When we're trusting God, we, we are open to correction. We're at home, right? You know what it's like when you, when you have a healthy family and you're at home and you, you trust your family and you're, you know, there's no uh, inhibitions about being home, no fears, no worries. You're not trying to hide. You're open to correction in a loving family, overwhelmed with gratitude in, in, a, in, in, in that environment when you feel at home. Grateful for what you have. These two funerals we've come through, it's just been a sense of gratitude as we look back at our own life. Thank you, God, that these people graced our lives. Thank you for all the blessings. Thank you for bringing us through difficult times and seasons. You're filled with humility, so there's, there's no place for pride because you're all filled up with humility. You know, there's a deconstructionist Christian movement going on. It's been going on for a long time where, uh, you know, People are trying to deconstruct their faith, and they don't believe this now, and they don't believe that. They've turned the Bible into kind of a technical manual. They just want to pull it off the shelf to prove that they're right and you're wrong uh, with respect to any issues that are going on. But uh, what, what you see in that is this huge pride. We have a heritage in Christianity of great, great men and women. We have such a heritage of faith, and that you you would put yourself in a place and you'd say, uh, it's kind of like the Princess Bride, right? Where he's, uh, he says, you heard of Plato? Aristotle? Morons! <laughs> and and it's, it's like people are doing that with the great fathers of the faith and they're, they're just saying, they're morons. I know what this book says, right? But when you are filled with humility, there's no room for pride. When you're standing in the, in, in the presence of, of the Heavenly Father and, and His glory, is, and you recognize, I, I can't even stand in the shadow. Holiness, Lord, I want to be holy, but you're going to have to do it. I stand here guilty. I stand here ashamed. But when you're filled with humility, there just isn't any room for pride. You're at home. I love that theme for our church. Welcome home. You're at home. In the presence of God. There's nothing magical about this building or this property. It's our hearts opening to the Heavenly Father and saying, We're home. Trust is all about being at home in the presence of the Lord. He goes on to say, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Sam Rayner, I read this book a few years ago uh, in actually a seminary class that I had, and uh, it's one of the books that was given to us to read, and uh, it's a book called Obstacles. And Sam Rayner coined a term there, and I don't know that it's unique to him, but it was fascinating to me. It just jumped out of the pages. The term was time stewards. Time stewards. We moved into our current home where we live right now about 15 years ago, and when we moved there, there were uh, three trees in the front yard. They were all about four or five foot high, 
you guys have seen this. Uh, if you've been in new home communities, you know, you kind of snicker as you drive by. Ha ha, you know, look at those tiny trees. Um, not much bigger than a bush, right? And they're all staked down. You know, they stake them down, you know, anchor them really good because any little wind is going to uproot that little tree and put it on the ground. And, you know, the likelihood of bringing that thing back after that is, is not really good, right? And that's where we were about uh, 15 years ago, these little trees, uh, you know, four or five feet high and, and uh, staked down, right? And they began to grow, and I got to the place where I could kind of take the stakes out, but you're still a little fearful of them, strong winds blowing, that kind of thing. But today, those trees are towering about 30 to 35 feet high. They're anchored by strong roots. They never bend. They never bow when those strong winds blow. It takes hard work and dedication and time to get deeply rooted, and they have been okay to be time stewards of anchoring themselves in the soil. They had no unrealistic expectations that within a few days they would be strong. They have just weathered drought that we've had here in central Texas. They've weathered uh, deep, deep rains that have come, that have flooded some of the areas around, harsh winds. We had a really bad windstorm uh, even uh, just uh, about six or seven months ago where we were at and uh, did some damage to our roof. We had to have repaired and that kind of thing. And, but these, these trees have remained firm and strong, and they always love to leave a few leaves in the yard for us to rake up, you know, just to remind us that they're there. Are you succeeding at stewarding your time spiritually? Are you successful as a time steward? And the question comes for us, where will you be when the world shakes? Where will you be when the world shakes? January 17th, 1994, a 6.8 um, earthquake hit Northridge, and it shook every home and every building. One week after this powerful earthquake uh, hit, I had a class uh, there, and so we were in Van Nuys, which is uh, similar to uh, Round Rock, from Round Rock, maybe Round Rock Central to North Austin, about that distance. So a lot of what had happened in Northridge had also happened uh, right there uh, in, in, the, in the area of Van Nuys. Uh, the hotel that we stayed in had a huge crack in it, you know, and they had brought in um, you know, these, these big boards and things to anchor this together. <laughs> and it doesn't make you feel very good about where you're staying, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, just to tell on me a little bit, you know, um, the, uh, we had one of those aftershocks, and it was huge, man. It just, ba-boom, it shook that building. And I came out of my hotel in my boxers, man, uh, running for help. And, you know, and nobody else, fortunately, was scared. They were all locals and living there because they didn't want to stay in their home. And uh, they didn't even, didn't even bother them. You know, they just turned over and started snoring again. You know, it scared the life out of me. I thought the building was coming down. Uh, so this was a horrible uh, event that took place. But it, it shook more than just the buildings. It shook lives. And it shook them to the very core. People were afraid to return to their homes, and that's why many of them were right there in that hotel with me. Across the street on the campus of Church on the Way, people were sleeping and staying and eating 
they, were, they were seeking shelter outside of their homes. It had shaken everything that they believed in, everything that they trusted in, everything that they had confidence in, and, and they, were, they were completely shaken emotionally. People were afraid to return to their homes. They were, they were afraid to be separated from their families. There were people sleeping in their cars for days on end that would not go back inside their home. Their souls had been shaken. There are feelings that shake us, and we can't shake them. There are feelings that will shake us, and we can't shake them. The journey to, to deep roots is filled with feelings, but feelings are not faith, and faith is not feelings. There's going to be in your life, and there has been recently, doubtful days, droughtful days, dungeon days, dragon days, depression days, obsession days, anxious and fearful days. There will also be joyful days, exhilarating days, best day ever days, never let it end days, right? All that said, but faith is not a feeling. Say it with me. Faith is not a feeling. Time stewards understand that each day holds feelings, but feelings do not hold each day. Spiritual formation is a process that, that God will not rush in your life as those trees of 15 years in my front yard. God will not rush the process of forming His Spirit in you. He's more interested in your holiness than your happiness. And he is forming and working in you, and he is patient. Spiritual formation is a process that God will not rush, and neither must we. Spiritual formation, uh, God is always working in us, trying to make us more like him. God is at work with you, dealing uh, you know, with all that is of an old nature, all that is dead, all that is diseased, all that is destructive to your character, God is patiently working uh, by one thing at a time, moving in your life, developing. Uh, you know, we, we would talk about how when we accept Jesus into our life, there's a little nuclear explosion that goes off. You, you've seen on TV that, that great cloud that begins to arise and, and, and go up towards the heavens. And, and all of that is process of God developing himself in you pushing out all that is old and making everything new inside of you. So I would say to you that before you rush the promise, rush to the promise giver. Rush to his presence and invite his, become a time steward who waits on the Lord. It's easy for us to see in our pride when we look in the mirror, a finished man or a woman, and to say, hey, you know, I've really come a long ways. There's a lot that's happened in my life. But God sees to the very core of our heart. And every day when we see giants, spiritual giants that we looked up to and trusted in and believed in fall away or caught in sin, sometimes, you know, redemptively brought back to God, but when we see our heroes fall in the faith, we're reminded that God is always seeing the heart and we're always seeing the outside. 
What a great man. What a great woman. God looks in and says, lust, pride. I'm trying to deal with this stuff. Let me deal with it. That last phrase there that is in that passage says, nor will cease from yielding fruit. When we're deeply rooted and anchored in him, we produce fruit that nourishes souls. How do you know that you're bearing fruit that God provides because it nourishes souls? One of the ways I would describe that, the two men who were traveling happened to meet Jesus after the resurrection. They didn't know he was Jesus. And they're on this road called Emmaus. They're on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus begins to talk with them. And it was soul nourishing. <laughs> oh man, he began to expound to them and they began to grow in faith and increase in their love for God and God's word. And they said, after they're departed from Jesus, he uh, there was a little fork in the road. He went one way, and they kept going down the road to Emmaus. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us as he expounded along the way? Soul nourishing. Have you been in the presence of someone who nourishes your soul because they are anchored in him? And they have allowed him to deal with the issues of their hearts and lives. And, and so what they are doing literally nourishes her. I hope that happens when we come together on a weekly basis here. Through worship, through the ministry of the word, your soul is being nourished so that you can put down deep roots. Time stewards understand that it is not just the passing of the days, but what we do with those days that makes roots grow deep. Seated in the council of God, surrounded by the family of God, and, and worshiping together, practicing the habits that encourage spiritual growth in our lives. Daily devotions in God's Word. If the only time you're hearing God's Word expounded is when we get together on Sunday, problem. You are not going to grow very fast. There's only 52 of these in the course of the year. And you need more. You need to eat on a daily basis. Daily devotions in God's Word. And I want to say along that line that it is, is, is not the, the quantity of consumption of what's going on, but the quality of the time. A, a five minutes uninterrupted in the presence of God and just reading a couple of sentences or a paragraph is better than trying to make this thing a ritual of your life in some way and having all the distractions of life move you away from actually allowing God's word to penetrate your heart. Second, prayer, inviting his presence. Inviting his presence. What is prayer? Prayer is just inviting God's presence. So people say, Pastor, I don't really know how to pray. You're, you, know, you know how to talk. You know how to converse. That's all you got to do. Just talk to God. Just open your heart and be honest. Prayer is, is most of all inviting his presence. Father, I have a will that wants to go a particular way. I have a, a, a desire to go and do something. Listening on the drive up to Arkansas uh, from Pastor Jack Hayford, and this is unbelievable to think about, but in, in this way, God made us equal to him in our wills in our wills. We can make a choice and a decision. 
It's where Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane, said, God, my nature here is a, is a human being. There's, I know I have a choice. Nevertheless, not my will, your will. I want to invite your presence, Lord, today. I don't want to miss any divine appointment you have for me. I want my will to align with your will. I want your will to dominate. The third is surrendering to the lordship of Jesus in our lives on a daily basis. It has to be daily. Every day we try to take control. Every day we try to drive. Every day we try to, to make the decisions that will impact our lives, little and big decisions. Sometimes we think little, these little decisions are, oh, God's not really concerned about these things. And they, are, they build up, and they're, they're very important in the scheme of things. Saying, Lord, today I surrender to your lordship. Correct me where I might try to step out of line and do something else. Steps of the righteous, God, are commanded by every step is commanded by you. I want to make every step in line with you. Third, surrendering, uh, I'm sorry, surrendering to his lordship. Fourth, uh, serving and giving. Serving and giving. It is, it is necessary for us. On Tuesday talk this last week, we spent some time talking about the, the giving aspect of this. And I've said this before, uh, many of you have heard it, some of you may not have, that what is our money? What is it? It's a piece of us. We can never get back. Our, our employer compensated it for us. So when we give that to God in offering, when we give up our offerings, when we uh, give to, to needs that are out there financially, uh, God receives it as a sacrifice of us. It's a piece of us. Employer said, you know, today you're going to miss the first time your child walks. Today you're going to, to miss uh, the last time uh, your mother or father may breathe breath on this planet. Today you're going to miss a baseball game. Today you're going to miss a concert. Today you're going to miss something. Here's $100, $1,000, whatever it might be. And it's the exchange that takes place that takes a piece of us. And so when we offer that up to God, don't ever underestimate what that means to God. It is a piece of us. And God says, I receive it. Serving is so paramount to us because we get a different view, a worldview when we serve others. And we're not leading or trying to be on the forefront of everything. We get a different perspective by serving. The highest calling in our lives is to serve one another. Worship. Worship and gratitude is, is the last one. Expressing our gratitude to God, worshiping Him as Lord and leader in our lives. Worship does such a profound work. And I watched you guys this morning while worship is going on. Life change happens during worship. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And the corporate worship, that's why I'm so, I'm so anxious for those who are online to come back. We can't reproduce this in your living room. You know, there are so many distractions that pop up, um, you know, that are happening at your home life. I'm online, I'm offline. Uh, you know, this and that's happening. Uh-oh, the, you know, the bacon's burning, whatever it might be. <laughs> when we come together, man, you can't you can reproduce corporate worship because not only the worship, the, the singing of songs, stuff like that, but the gifts of the Spirit are at work in the body of Christ. Someone whispering to someone in front of them and saying, God said to me, 
He loves you. Reach out to him today. He cares about you. Somebody walking up to someone before or after service and reading a passage of scripture, um, say, you know, I just read this this week, and I felt like God wants me to share it with you. And, and the gifts of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, prayer of faith, praying for the sick, all those things that can happen uh, in, a, in that dynamic in our living room can happen when we come together for corporate worship. We can and we do stunt our own growth. We may be several feet smaller today than God really intended for us to be. The start of, of a fresh new beginning, though, for us, it, it begins with repentance. Every new beginning begins with repentance, right? We have to own what we've done. And, and part of our problem in, in, in not growing like we should is we don't take ownership. We don't take ownership. We've taught our kids this. We say it a lot. Lay blame. We always do one of three things. Lay blame, justify, take responsibility. The first step of coming to God and allowing him to be Lord is for us to take ownership of our wrong and, and to own it. Not blame someone else. God, if that person hadn't been here, you know, I'd have, I'd have been deeply rooted. They ruined it. They put me off course and they led me in a different direction. You know, justifying, well, you know, I deserve to have this, you know, because I work hard and, and uh, so, you know, I took some time off. Big deal. What is it, God? You know, I mean, I'm back now. Uh, but owning it and saying, I went my own way. I put nails in your hands and a crown of thorns on your head. I beat you. Father, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I own it all. I should have been crucified. The song says, I should have suffered and died. Jesus, you looked ahead in time, and while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. It begins with true repentance. Near you, uh, somewhere on the seat there, is uh, the elements for communion. We're going to receive that in a moment together. First, I want to invite the worship team to come and prepare. This morning, we have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. And let me tell you what the Lord's table is not. It's not to come for, uh, for negotiation. This is a... If you haven't learned it yet, this is a theocracy. <laughs> it's, uh, it's God's world. It's God's universe. You belong to him. You're his creation. Don't come to his table trying to negotiate. It's not a place to come to present our list of demands. I've decided that, you know, there are certain things that need to be in place. God is that I can live happily going forward. I need a life mate. I need a nice new car. Need some new tires on my the car I have now or whatever. You know, don't bring your list to this table. Don't do it. It's not uh, you know a place to for us to come and lay blame and justify. God, you don't understand. You know, I, uh, this is you know all these things have happened in my life. You know, I'm a, I'm a victim, God, and and you know you have to treat me differently than you do everybody else. This is not the place. Don't do it. This is not a place to recount our good deeds. Isaiah said, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags in the presence of the Lord. I gave to UNICEF. I uh, adopted a child in, in Africa to feed them. I, I did this and I did that. And all of these things piled up. 
before God are, are, are like filthy rags because we, have, we are incapable of goodness without the goodness of God. All of our goodness is tainted. All of our goodness is uh, born of guilt sometimes. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's has hooks in it sometimes that, you know, I'll do that and then they're going to they're gonna remember me and I'll get a promotion at work and, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and post this on Facebook that everybody can know that, you know, I'm a giver and I helped out, you know, and they'll think, what a wonderful person. And so then they're going to want to do business with me, my small business. We're, you know, we're a wretched bunch, aren't we? There are all kinds of things going on in our motives. And uh, God says, you know, can't do any of that. Uh, you just need me in order to really be good. So you need to invite me, uninhibited, and, and then you're going to be doing goodness for goodness sake. You're going to be doing it. This past weekend, as I said, we attended a, a second funeral. Back-to-back -back weekends, a reminder that we all have an appointment with the righteous judge. I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving this morning, and I'm not going to ask you to stand uh, for worship. I'm going to ask you uh, to stand at the, uh, at the end. Uh, and I want you to be thinking about it, because as, as we sing and uh, God begins to deal with our hearts and the Holy Spirit is in this room the Holy Spirit's at your home those of you who are online here's what I believe that God is saying to us today before we start this final worship song he's 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 asking are you tired of hearing your own excuses because God says I am I'm sick of it I believe God is saying to us are you finished pretending and defending what you know is really sin. I believe God is saying, are you ready to surrender your life to me? Not a day or a moment or a week until you feel better. Are you ready to surrender your life to me? Here's what I believe that God is saying to all of us today. It's time for us to stand up for ourselves and be accountable stand up and, and, and you know for the things that we have uh, done that are a reproach to the kingdom of God a reproach to, to God to to come into true repentance and to say God it's all about you and not about me and if I am ever going to grow and be what you want me to be then I'm going to have to own where I am right now. I'm going to have to own that I have prevented growth in my life, that I have stifled development in my life. And I have to repent of it. I have to turn a 180 and begin to move after you and after your heart, or I'm not going to see any growth. And God, I understand that faith is not a feeling. So, so I had a good experience, had a good feeling during worship, and I had you know, good feelings at various times in my life. But God, I, I, I really want you to be central and on the throne of my life. And I'm not going to be moved by emotions. So if I don't feel like weepy and, and everything, you know, tomorrow I'm not going to think I'm not saved. I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. I'm going to be anchored in you and I'm going to go firmly towards what you've called me to do. Even when harsh winds come and difficult times come, I'm going to go after you and after your heart. Remain seated. Let's sing this song together, and I come back, and I want to give you a challenge. <laughs>